Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and I got another good show for you today. Super Bowl 53 is in the books. Not a pretty game. Patriots win 13-3. And I'll be joined today by Joe D'Aloisio, frequent guest on the podcast. We spoke to him last evening of the playoffs. He's back with us to wrap it up the game, break down the Super Bowl, and set the stage for the NFL offseason. Joe is going to be on with me in just a moment to do the opening tip where we break down the game. Also with me, another frequent guest of mine, Sam DeRosa, who's been on here a couple times before. She and I are going to go into the halftime show, which was another train wreck, courtesy of Rune 5, and the whole sweet victory fiasco. We're going to break that down, break down the commercials, so the movie trailers that were in there. All that's coming up later in the show. Be sure you're locking until the end for this week's two-minute drill where I break down the latest entry in the 30 for 30 film franchise on ESPN, Dion's Double Play, talking about the night that Dion Sanders decided to try and play both football and baseball on the same day. Break all that down for you, give me my review, and whether you should take the time to watch it or not. We'll get it all rolling with our opening tip coming up next with Joe D'Alessio to break down Super Bowl 53. Eight How many consecutive possessions? possessions ending in a punt for Hecker. From the end zone, he punts it, didn't catch it. Hits it to 45 and takes off. Oh my goodness, this could be the longest punt in Super Bowl history. Oh, you've been waiting for a good well, stat like that. That's it. That's a highlight of the game. <laughs> it is, by one yard. <laughs> How long? He breaks Ryan Allen's record of 64. That's right, Jim Nance, Tony Romo from the Super Bowl, courtesy of CBS, getting excited about a punt. That tells you everything you need to know about the Super Bowl, how exciting it was. We're going to do our best to break it all down for you. Mike Phillips back here on the podcast with a guy who is on the Mount Rushmore of the Just and the Suffering podcast. Guess this is his sixth appearance on the show. Last heard of him at the beginning of the playoffs. Now he's here to wrap everything up. Joe Dalvizio is back with us. Joe, how are you doing today? Mike, I'm doing great. And as always, uh, you know I love hopping on the podcast, so thanks for having me. Not a problem. Great to have you on to talk some football, even though, be honest, we got a crappy football game this week. I mean, I think that play to start this segment kind yeah. of says it all right there. I mean, you heard the excitement in Romo and Nance's voice right there, and pretty much it was very boring. I mean, it, it actually depends on who you ask, right? So some people who love old-school football, the defensive showdown, they probably love this game. At the same time, though, a lot of that great defense was uh, because of very bad offense, whether it was Jared Goff making bad play, Tom Brady making bad plays. So you got a sense of that. And for anyone that loves the shootout, well, obviously you didn't get that. Yeah, you didn't get that 54-50 well like we had back with the Chiefs and Rams week 11. No, which I mean, I think that's what everyone anticipated, you know, at least the Rams to put up points. And if the Chiefs were to make it, they were like, here we go again. We can't wait for this matchup. But um, it was a disaster. But at the same time, you can't take away what Bill Belichick was able to do and how he schemed that game plan and the Patriots executed in every facet. Yeah, absolutely. Let's throw, let's throw some stats out there before we get dive into this a little more. This is the lowest rated Super Bowl the last 10 years. Like The previous one was Arizona-Pittsburgh uh, Super Bowl 43, so this is not surprising considering the game was terrible. I mean, I think there's a couple things with that. I think the game was terrible, so... People tuned in and then tuned out. Yeah. Um, I also think it was a little bit of this Patriots fatigue. They're constantly they're constantly there. People are getting tired of continu- of always seeing them win or be in this moment. Um, so I think again the combination of both had an effect on those on uh, on the numbers. 
Yeah, New Orleans, and they got the lowest rating ever, which is I think they only had 26 for the Super Bowl in New Orleans. It tells you how pissed off they were. Oh, without a <laughs> doubt. I mean, I saw, um, I saw actually there was videos going around that the people of New Orleans were actually mar- having a uh, parade and protesting the Super Bowl. Yeah. I saw some newspapers that came out with today's front page that was pretty much a blank page which is very bold for a newspaper to do with the you know titles like wait the super bowl happened you know um there was actually a game last night so obviously you could still see the frustration and i'll be honest with you i think if the saints made the super bowl they could have beat this patriots team oh without a doubt i think they would have won that game i think so and it could you know who knows obviously the game plan would have been a lot different um for the patriots going into a matchup against a veteran quarterback like drew Brees. but i think he would have been ready for the moment something that jared goff definitely wasn't this time around yeah it was a result we get the lowest scoring super bowl ever we combined 16 points in the two teams which wrecked the box pools or everybody who was hoping for a lot of score changes and stuff like that we also had the rams the first team not to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl since the Miami Dolphins lost 24-3 in Super Bowl VI. They're the, only, they're the only two teams not to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. It was brutal. And <laughs> watching watching this, I'm thinking first half, no problem, right? Uh, they're both playing chess. They're waiting. They want to see what, you know, the Patriots want to see what the Rams are showing. The Rams want to sh- see what the Patriots are showing. Um, so it's kind of a chess match. I thought the minute that the second half was going to start, things were going to open up and, you know, you would see points. You'd see drives that ended with seven, and, and that just never happened. Yeah, only one drive ended with seven. In my opinion, I might give you this question, fell in the blank. This was the worst Super Bowl since? This was the worst Super Bowl since the Seahawks-Broncos Super Bowl at MetLife, um, where the Seahawks completely dominated the Broncos. At the same time, though, the dominant team showed off um, their strong suit. They showed that that defense was so great, and and it definitely showed come Super Bowl. But in terms of watching, that was terrible. And I'll take it even a step uh, further back. Uh, one of the first Super Bowls that I actually, you know, really really remember watching was when the Ravens beat the uh, Giants. When the Ravens beat the Giants again, um, the Ravens a juggernaut defense, uh, a big running back in Jamal Lewis at the time. And the Giants, who kind of just stumbled there and got there, really had no shot at all in that one. No, that one was over before it started. This one we didn't think it would be that way. That's what ended up happening here. The Patriots just completely dominated the Rams in this game. Like, how the hell did they stop them? You know what? It's crazy. They completely dominated them. Um, but at the same time, you know, if the Rams could have figured it out on one drive, it's a completely different game. Yeah. You know, if the if the Rams decide to be a little bit aggress- more aggressive towards the end of the game, go for it on fourth down rather than punting and giving the ball back to the Patriots, and they convert, who knows? Um, if Jared Goff, there's a lot of what-ifs from this game. Um, the final score doesn't really scream dominance, but after watching that game and re-watching highlights, I mean, you got to give all the credit to Bill Belichick there. Yeah, Belichick, we got all sorts of great defensive schemes, confusing Jared Goff. And I think part of the problem here, if Will Snyderhand was on here last week, pointed out to me off air today, I think the part of the problem is this whole thing is in a report about how uh, Sean McVay reads the defense for Jared Goff until, until the uh, mic and the headset shuts off at 15 seconds. I mean, that's a problem because Goff apparently couldn't figure it out on his own and he could be making terrible reads all day. Yeah, I mean, that was it was definitely uh, evident that Goff was shook. He didn't know what was coming at him. He didn't know where to look. If his first couple um, options weren't available, he was lost. He looked like deer, you know, deer staring into the headlights. Um, I, th- I I hope for Jared Goff's sake 
that it's kind of just going through the motions and here's a young quarterback on a big stage. At the same time, uh, for this Rams team, it's not what it's not where you wanted to be. Here's a perfect opportunity. Easily, I think, the worst Patriots team to win a Super Bowl. Um, you could have take, taken advantage of that. They didn't take advantage of that. Yeah, I think also part of the problem of this game is Sean McVay only gave the ball to Ty Gurley 11 times, which I don't know how you do that when this guy scored 21 touchdowns regular season. Listen, the mystery of Todd Gurley and his usage um, between the uh, NFC Championship game and then also in that Super Bowl um, will forever be something that's discussed. And I don't know if it's going to haunt McVay, but that question will continue to to be brought up um, anytime that Todd Gurley is discussed or the Super Bowl is discussed. What happened with Todd Gurley? Because you saw, you heard from Todd Gurley, he said he was healthy. McVay said he was healthy. What caused this to happen? What caused him to not get the ball more? Um, pers- I don't know anything. Personally, I believe this was McVay trying to to create something or reinvent the wheel when he didn't have to. I think he went into it thinking that Bill Belichick and the Patriots were going to game plan to make sure that Todd Gurley didn't beat them and that C.J. Anderson would come in and kind of, you know, take over and be effective as he has been all postseason. Didn't work. I could be wrong, but that's what it certainly seemed like. Yeah, I hate when these coaches try and, like, they get inside their own heads and try and outsmart themselves and like just use your best players and try and get them the ball like I feel like it's the easiest way to win the game well the one thing I'll give credit to Sean McVay is he flat out said I got out coached yeah. it was it was a poorly designed game so yeah. I do give him credit for stepping up to the plate and saying hey this one's on me yeah it's not I'm like Belichick last year would never explain why Malcolm Butler, Butler was in the game on defense last year exactly yeah. and then you know that's something that you know my whole thing is, after seeing what unfolded last season with the Patriots and, and the Philly special and all that, there was no way that Bill Belichick was going to get beat twice. You know, it, it wasn't going to happen in back-to-back years. He wasn't, Bill Belichick, this game was more about Bill Belichick proving that he is the man because he wasn't going to get embarrassed twice. And he would have been embarrassed if he lost this game to a young coach like McVay. Yeah, for sure. I saw a strange MVP choice in this game because... Julian Edelman wins the MVP, 10 catches, 141 yards. It's a good day, but odd to see that win a Super Bowl MVP without a touchdown. Um, I think it's because of how the game was played. Yeah. You know, um, I thought uh, Gilmore definitely should have had consideration for MVP. Uh, key interception was was a vital part of that defense and the way they played. Um, I don't really have a problem with Edelman getting it. I thought, you know, if it wasn't for Edelman, if you look back, I mean, if it wasn't for Edelman. He doesn't keep the drives alive. He doesn't keep the, the chains moving. So he was a, a very key piece to this victory. Yeah, part of me wonders, though, like, if Sonny Michelle got six more yards is, and gets to 100 with the, tu- with the game-winning touchdown, is he the MVP? I don't think so because other than that touchdown drive, other, you know, other than the few breakouts, he wasn't that—he didn't make that big of an impact. I think you saw—you saw Julian Edelman on every drive. Yeah. You didn't hear— or see from Sony Michelle produce on every drive. Yeah, that's, I think that's the main, the biggest difference there. Yeah, that's true. As far as this game, I think this game is going to remember more for Sean McVay getting completely outcoached by Bill Belichick. And this is after the league went crazy hiring anybody who had a connection to Sean McVay. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury gets hired in Arizona because he, quote, is friends with Sean McVay. And today the Bengals announced Zach Taylor, their, their offensive coordinator, as their new head coach. So, like, 
Now McVay takes a complete beating in this game, gets out, out coached by Belichick badly. How do you think this impacts his reputation in the league? I mean, again, this is going to be something that, you know, here's one of the best offenses in the regular season that got completely shut down. I think this is something that people are not going to forget. I think the narrative of Sean McVay is going to start to change where, you know, everyone, the McVay effect, the McVay effect, the McVay effect. I think that's going to start to change, especially when you reach it to the big, big game and it doesn't happen. Last season, it was one and done for the Rams and it was, oh, inexperienced for Goff. This year, number one seed, they make it to the Super Bowl and he was outcoached by the better coach. Um, I think we're still making excuses for McVay, but he has held himself accountable. He knows he was outcoached. Um, he needs to get better. And the fact that they have a young quarterback helps, but the rest of the team around him, not so much. There's a lot of questions where this team could easily fall back and maybe even miss a playoffs, the playoffs next season, um, de- de- determining or depending on, excuse me, depending on what they do come this offseason. Um, and that for anybody that, you know, hired a McVeigh disciple, which I don't even know if you can really say that because he just started head coaching, but the Bengals and, and uh, Taylor, the, the Packers and, and LaFleur, you got to start think. you know, you, you're not as confident after this performance with those hires, I don't think. Yeah, I've been calling them McVeigh bros because I feel like they're all at the same age group. And not it's hard. It's like you said, it's hard for him to have disciples. He's only been the coach for two years. I feel like they're all like his around his age. They're all like similar like offense background. I feel like they're all like it's kind of like a group of bros. They're all sort of spreading out. So I've been calling them McVeigh bros. Yeah, that's actually a good way to put it. Yeah, I, you can't you can't tell me that there's you know McVeigh disciples when he hasn't he hasn't been around that long to to have that ability. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, Bill Belichick, he has plenty of disciples. Not many of them are successful because Bill Belichick is one of a kind, and he and Brady now have six Super Bowls. Like, what more can we add to that legacy off this game? Well, I think this was more for Bill Belichick's legacy. I don't think this did much for Brady. I mean, Brady's Brady. Honestly, Brady's Brady and Belichick is Belichick. Like, 1A, 1B. But I think this really cemented, you know, Belichick's greatness and his. His attention to detail, his ability to plan, and and to really have all of his players buy in and execute. I think that's what this said. I mean, again, the top, one of the top offenses in the league were held to three points. That was that's their low, lowest total since McVay became their head coach. I think that says so much about Bill Belichick, and more importantly, how much the team buys into what he believes and what he says. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like and. Shameless plug here. I recently I wrote for I started for fans. I, I wrote a list of the top twenty quarterback performances in Super Bowl history. Tom Brady fifty one, what I think was his legacy game, where he brought them back from twenty eight three down, led them to the overtime win. That I feel like that was his legacy game. This is Belichick's legacy game, like you said. I feel like this without a doubt. Yeah. That Tom Brady, you know that exactly being down twenty you know twenty eight to three twenty eight to three. I mean that cemented Brady in man. This is one of the best quarterbacks to ever live. Yeah, I'm, as a Jet fan, I'm just waiting. I'm like, Giselle, please call him home. Please get him out of our lives. You know, it's an interesting thing now. Uh, you heard Brady say he's not done yet, but at the same time, you know, when is he going to be done? Like, when when's enough enough? And when Brady goes, does that mean Belichick goes? Like, who goes first? Do they go together? Does everyone leave? 
I personally think Gronk is done. I think this was it for him. This was his last game. We probably, you know, it'll be the biggest off-season question coming out of there. Expect Brady to be back. Expect Belichick to be back. But, you know, it's something to think about is we're closer to that time period where both of those guys are outside and away from the game. And once they're gone, that really opens up opportunities for, you know, pretty much the rest of the NFL because they've dominated over the last two decades. Absolutely, and I feel like they are going to go out together. I feel like Belichick knows he's had such a good thing. He might say, you know what, I'm going to be like a GM now. I'm not going to be involved with coaching anymore once Brady goes. It, it really depends. Um, it's either they, they both take the, take the high road and they leave together, or pride maybe get gets in front of one of them and, you know, Brady leaves, Belichick leaves, but he decides to try to bring someone who's almost, you know, Super Bowl bound to Super Bowl and win there. Now, if something, listen, if Brady or Belichick end up leaving New England, and let's say Brady, let's say Brady becomes the the quarterback for the Washington Redskins, all right, <laughs> um, in Leeds, Washington, to a Super Bowl. I mean, talk about cementing their, his legacy. And the same thing goes for. For I mean, further cementing. The same thing, though, goes for Belichick. If Belichick leaves and becomes a, the coach of the Houston Texans and brings the Texans to a Super Bowl, I mean, I think that's just as impressive as, you know, this Super Bowl for Belichick or or Brady's 28-3 to Super Bowl comeback. Yeah, absolutely. We I think we've gone as far as we can go on this game, considering there was not a lot that happened in it. Do you want to stick around and talk about a little bit about the offseason? Mike, I'm all yours. All right, we'll be right back. We'll talk about the NS offseason right after we listen to the one highlight, the one touchdown from the Super Bowl. Courtesy of Jim Nance, talking about from CBS right after this. First play in the red zone. The first one for the game on either side from the two. First and goal. Running it for the touchdown. Sony Michelle. The first touchdown of Super Bowl 53. Look at that hole. They've been just doing this the entire playoffs. These are two of the most physical teams. They're in the Super Bowl for a reason, and you're getting a physical football game. All right, and we're back on the Just End and Suffering podcast with Joel Dalvizio. We broke down the Super Bowl. Now we're going to dive into the offseason first. We'll clean up some housekeeping items from the weekend. The award season came out. The last time you were here, you made award predictions. Do you want to take a guess how you did? I probably did pretty bad. You actually got four out of seven, correct? Wow, I'm actually very surprised. Yeah, you the ones you got wrong, I will tell you this. You were wrong with defensive rookie of the year. You said Derwin James and went to Darius Leonard. Okay. Well um not surprised there. Yeah, yeah. Not surprised. he led the NFL yeah. in tackles, right? Yes. Or yeah. Uh, yeah. Darius Leonard I mean, he was led the league in tackles and was an all pro and he somehow did not make the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that makes no sense. <laughs> Someone explain that to me. Yeah, a lot of Colt fans are very angry about that. That's a whole other issue. And coach of the year you were incorrect. You said Frank Reich ended up being Matt Nagy. Rightfully so. Yeah, I think I, w- I was torn between the two of them. Yeah, I think you said right. I said Nagy. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I'm giving you a partial credit here. You On offensive player of the year, you mentioned, you said it'll probably be Patrick Mahomes, but you picked Drew Brees. So yep. I'm giving you like half a point there. All right. So I got four and a half. Yeah, four and a half by seven. Not bad. I'll take that. Yeah, it's a good solid. I think any big surprise in those awards, not really. No, not really. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, there's so much else that's going on and leading up to the Super Bowl that yeah. – Who's really honed in on the awards? You know, I think the biggest part of this is the, is the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the NFL should try to capitalize on picking, you know, the week after the Super Bowl maybe to do yeah. a big award show to, re, you know, wrap up the season. Yeah. Maybe that'll capture some more eyes. But I think it's hard to, you know, squ- squish that in. 
Yeah, especially when you have all these people coming down to to the Super Bowl for every year. So I say, oh, it's easy for us to put everybody there and just do it then. Yeah, I, and I understand that, but I don't know. I think another another thing. I mean, another way for the NFL to capitalize and make more money is just having it designated. You know, the Saturday after or the Sunday after having. I think more people would tune in the Sunday after the Super Bowl to watch the NFL awards and they do the numbers they get for the Pro Bowl. It'd be bold to go head to head with the Grammys. That would that's the only <laughs> challenge. So yeah. maybe you don't make it then. I'm just throwing out a date. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Or maybe you maybe you make it that Saturday night. Or you could double it up with the Pro Bowl. That would be also an option. That is an option. The only difficulty with that is just getting people there, you know, if your team is in the Super Bowl, so they could always go back to what they were doing a couple of years back where they had this, the uh, Pro Bowl at the Super Bowl site. They could always do that and try and br- bring everything together that I way. think they just get rid of the Pro Bowl overall, but that's just a whole other story. Yeah, they'll never get rid of it, though. If you're getting 8 million people just watching people like tack, like t- two-hand touch and like switching positions on offense and defense, they're not going to get rid of that game. No, but, I mean, they should really consider changing it up. All right, you brought up the Hall of Fame a minute ago, like, any big takeaways from this Hall of Fame class? You had five. You had Max A go in. The five modern era candidates, the two two contributors, and the senior candidate. Um, no, but I like the fact. I'm fine with the entire class. I love the fact that you know you had three first time eligible players make it in back to back years now. And this year, Champ Bailey, Tony Gonzalez, and Ed Reed. And it kind of it's it's a little nostalgic because now we're starting to see players that we grew up watching right yeah. it was hard to relate you know we all knew how great jerry rice was right yep. and uh, we're we're probably people if you're an o- older audience listening to this podcast are like geez how young are these kids yeah but like i don't remember watching vintage i i didn't i wasn't born watching vintage jerry rice yeah. right i could still appreciate his greatness but like seeing a guy like tony gonzalez right yep. seeing a guy like ed reed champ bailey like i remember watching them when they were at peak football yeah. And that's what I like that we're starting to see that come back around. Yeah, as a Jet fan too, Kevin Mawai getting in. Like Kevin Mawai was a dominant center on those Jet teams. Like he he was part of those teams that made the playoffs like five six times. Like he was like the center of everything. And like, With, without a doubt, and you yeah, remember yeah, that. You yeah. remember him being in a huge part, and especially since you have a rooting interest, you remember him being a part of or a reason why this team was constantly making a playoff run. Yeah, and I remember, always remember watching him. He was a great pulling center. Like he, I always see him pulling out, being ahead of Curtis Martin, another Hall of Famer, on some of those runs in the late, on the late nineties, early two thousands. I love it. I, you know, these guys, you know, like I mentioned, Bailey, Gonzalez, Ed Reed. I'm glad that in in back to back years we have you know first ballot Hall of Famers making it. Yeah, let's go to the off season now that we cleaned up, took care of our business over there. Let's go to the two local teams. What do you think is the big key for the New York Jets this offseason? All right. So the big key with the New York Jets is I think they need to spend their money, but more importantly, they need to spend it wisely. That doesn't mean going out and signing the top free agent at every single position. That means going out and adding the right pieces around Sam Darnold, adding the right pieces on that defensive unit to be to put less pressure on Sam Darnold. This offseason should really be centered around providing Darnold with as much talent as possible. I 100% agree. And I saw a report last week that like they may not go all out for Le'Veon Bell. I think that's a mistake. I think that's the one guy you have to go for because you cannot you need to put weapons around him and he is the best weapon available. I think you just have to go get him. See, this is where I disagree with you. Um, I, I actually agree with that report. There's no reason to break, break the bank for Le'Veon Bell. And my whole thought process with this is, yeah, he's young. Yes, he's a generational player. He just took the year off. 
there's no guarantee that he comes back and he's as dominant as he once was. There could be a motivational factor that he wants to prove, hey, Pittsburgh, you didn't want to pay me? Screw you. Now I'm going to show how good I am. Or it could be the opposite effect where he says, I got paid. I'm going to just hang out. You know, and I, you hate to see that happen, and I don't think that'll happen. But I think there's other ways that this team could improve. Um, I think it would be, I would be more willing, if I were the Jets, to save some money and sign someone like a Mark Ingram, or adding a Tevin Coleman, rather than bringing in a Le'Veon Bell, specifically Mark Ingram, yeah. because Mark Ingram is going to be cheaper than all three of those. Those target those uh, potential targets, free agents, because of the fact of his age, and his product productivity level is is sky high. Even when Al- Alvin Kamara took over and really became the face of that backfield, yeah, I think it scares out Ingram. And I feel like the Jets kind of went down this road offseason. It's like, oh, we're not going to go after the big guy. We'll sign Isaiah Crowell, and that didn't work out for them. I feel like they got to let cut the cord on him. I feel like Ingram. I'm just worried, like. Get him out of New Orleans, get him out of that system, and he's not going to be very productive. I think there's a difference, though, when you're comparing, you know, option A and option B. I mean, well, who was option A during that offseason? I think I know they were high on McKinnon, who was I think was been a better fit for their offense. Okay, but McKinnon was wasn't anything to brag about. Yeah. You were going to overspend on on a guy like McKinnon. I mean, I understand, but like the drop off there is is is. Not that drastic. You just saved a bunch of money with Crowell, and it didn't work out. Yeah. I think with with Bell and Ingram, the difference is is that money value is extraordinarily different. Like you could you could add Ingram and trade for an Antonio Brown, and it's just as successful. Would you trade for Antonio Brown for the Jets? One hundred percent. If I'm gonna get anyone from that Pittsburgh team, it's Antonio Brown. Because Antonio Brown has is the best wide receiver in the NFL. He has been the most consistent guy in the NFL. And week after week, he has proven that. Um, I'd rather find a way to bring Antonio Brown in and be that target for Sam Darnold than bring in Le'Veon Bell and spend all that money on Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, it's funny. I had Rod Carpenter on here a couple of weeks ago, a former Jet receiver. And like I asked him this very question about Antonio Brown. He said, I would absolutely bring him in because he feels like that A.B. is not going to be an issue when he gets away from Ben Roethlisberger because he's like Ben's the problem there. And, and that Sam Darnold is, is going to look, look up more to Brown and trust Brown more. Now, the one thing, the one issue that you, you could run into when bringing in a big guy is with a rookie, with a young quarterback is that, that quarterback relying on Antonio Brown a little bit too much, let's say, or forcing the ball to Brown a little bit too much. But, you know, I think bringing a guy like him is, is perfect for that locker room. It's a perfect guy to have as your number one if you're a young quarterback and and it's going to help build confidence i mean if you're slinging the ball and antonio brown is making great plays for you it's going to give you the confidence as a quarterback that you can make those throws with your other receivers yeah aj green could also fit that mold too in case cincinnati decides they want to rebuild like i'd see them looking at a trade for him as well without a doubt all right let's go to the giants now what do you think is the biggest key for the giant offseason so it really depends on what direction they want to go in um if they're going to give eli a shot again um, I think their biggest key to the off uh, the off season is really building that offensive line and building that defense. Eli has more than enough skill players, more than enough with Beckham and, and Saquon Barkley. He doesn't need more talent. Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard. He doesn't need more around him. He needs a better offensive line and a better defense. He needs less pressure. There needs to be less pressure on Eli Manning, and everyone else has to do 
more work. Now, the Giants aren't going to build a defense like the Broncos had when they had Peyton, but you look back when the when they won the Super Bowl, Peyton didn't do much. No, he, he did didn't. just enough. And I think Eli is a is better at this point than what Peyton was when they won the Super Bowl. It's funny you think about the fact that year. You forget that Peyton Manning got hurt here. He got benched for Brock Osweiler. And that, that sound, those words sound like sacrilege now. I mean, exactly. So, again, what you're getting out of Eli Manning is not great. It's, some, it's sometimes good and it's sometimes really bad. But he's got enough. He's got enough skill players around them. They just need to build everywhere else. I mean, you get you get a big offensive line to protect Eli and give him some time. He's gonna find someone open. All right, let's go look ahead of the free agency a little bit. Let's look at the cap situation a little bit. Who are some teams that have a lot of money to spend besides the Jets? Well, yeah, the Jets are number one up there, but also the Colts. Yeah, the Colts have a ton of money to spend. I believe the Colts are actually number one in terms of how much how much uh, money that they have to they have to spend um the cleveland browns are up there which is very interesting because i think this cleveland browns team is like right on the cusp like i'm never excited about cleveland browns football i'm super excited about cleveland browns football it's like they have the potential to really make a lot of good moves which could get them to that next step in a division that is kind of like slowly falling behind like yeah the ravens have Lamar Jackson, but is Lamar Jackson re- the real deal? What the heck is going on in Pittsburgh? And I think the Bengals stink. So there's a lot of opportunity for this Browns team. Is but we'll see. Is Freddie Kitchens the right fit? Yeah, it's interesting. The three teams that are at the top of the list there: the Browns, the Jets, and the Colts. All teams with their quarterbacks in place, with a lot of money to spend to improve the roster around them, they could do what the Rams did and sort of just rebuild on the fly and be right up there at the top of the league. Like I mean, and the, again, the key to this: you have money. But you gotta spend it wisely. For example, the Jets, right? They signed Tremaine Johnson oh. to a monster deal. Yeah. And look what you can't afford to be, you know, at towards the end of the season benching a guy that you're paying that much money to. Yeah. So you you really need to dig deep here and it's more than just making the fans happy and signing players. It's about getting it right. Yeah, what about, let's go the other direction. Where are some teams that are in a lot of trouble with the salary cap right now? You know, three teams. Yeah. And these are teams that were that are that have been in the playoffs recently. Recently, yeah. won a Super Bowl, but they're handcuffed. Yeah. I mean, bottom three: Minnesota Vikings. You you spend all that money on Kirk Cousins. He that contract has handcuffed that organization. They're gonna lose a lot of key people this offseason. They're gonna lose a ton of key people this offseason. But they they really are handcuffed because of how much money that they've allocated to to Kirk Cousins. You have the Jaguars. Who again? Who knows what they're going to do with that team? Um, reports maybe Jalen Ramsey out, Leonard Fournette out. I mean, I don't know what is going on. But here's a team that we thought going into this past season that could have been a Super Bowl contender. Um, they need a quarterback because Blake Bortles is garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another team, and of course, the worst situation out there is the Eagles. Yeah. I mean, they can't do anything. No, they're ca- they're capped out. They are they are mm-hmm. capped out. They are in the negatives. I don't think it's even possible for them to get in the positives you know and it seems like nick Foles. they're going to pick up that option and keep nick Foles around so or trade him uh, yeah well it, it the thing is is if they keep the option they're either obviously keeping him on the roster or they're going to try to trade him um so that's a that's an interesting game that they could play with nick Foles. but at, at this time i mean i think you got to keep nick Foles around i think he's earned his spot on the roster yeah i feel bad for the jaguar fans our friend sandra rosa was, was on here on the show a little bit like they have one good year. 
They go in the playoffs. They fall apart. And now they're in cap hell again. Yeah, I mean, there was a real glimpse of hope that you were like, wow, the Jaguars turned it around. This <laughs> yeah. is a fun team. And now you're like, oh, God, here we go again. They're stuck. And I heard interesting theories out there that now because they, they gave Boros his contract extension last year. Uh, where they basically screwed up their cap situation by giving it to him, and now he they want to get rid of him. So I've heard they may have to do pull an Osweiler here and attach a pick to somewhere to send him out of town to somebody with cap space. You know what? It'll be tough for even some a team that has cap space that would be willing to make a deal for I, for a guy like Blake Bortles. I have a spot in mind for that. Where the New York Football Jets? They need a second round pick. They don't have one. You, you can tell, and they don't have. And who's the backup quarterback? Josh McCown, forty years old. I would take Josh McCown. You don't need Blake Bortles in that locker room. He does absolutely nothing, and you're taking on a monster contract that you could use that money to help surround Sam Darnold with better talent. Yeah, I think the contract isn't out, though, after next year, and you get if you can get the second-round pick back, that's a valuable tool in your rebuild. I, I really think I think it's a valuable tool, but you have enough money this offseason where if you spend wisely and you draft well, you're right there. Yeah. I mean, you're you could possibly be a playoff team. Nine wins is is you could cement nine wins with a good off season. All right, let's move on to one other interesting note. I talked about this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. The Oakland Raiders situation of where they're playing games. Are you seeing where they're going to end up next year? Yeah, AT and T. Yeah, they are playing now in another baseball stadium, Oracle Stadium, which now. was AT and T. Was AT and T home of the San Francisco Giants, two thousand nineteen. So think about this for a second. They're moving to Vegas in twenty twenty. In 2019, the Oakland Raiders are playing in San Francisco, and the San Francisco 49ers are playing in Santa Clara. It makes no sense. I don't know what's going on <laughs> with this. Um, first of all, I hate, I really can't stand NFL teams playing in baseball stadiums. Yeah. I think I think it's just a bad look. Yeah. Um, I don't know how this is possible. How is the NFL allowing a team that they know is going to be moving play in a city where there is a team that represents that city, and they don't even play in that city. It's like straight out of the NBA. It makes no sense. It's really straight out like at the NBA, the whole thing, like, oh, like I want to be traded here only to this team, to these guys. It's like a, it's the same sort of deal. They're playing musical chairs at cities. It's really embarrassing. I mean, at this point, honestly, the Raiders just need to get to Vegas. 2020 needs to come, and it needs. they just need to be there. Yeah, for sure. Since, you, since you're here, we have developed a pattern of playing games. We have to play another game. All right. Yeah. We're going to play the NFL offseason prediction game. Most because I want an excuse to play the NFL pick music. I don't have an excuse to do it this. No week. more picks, so yeah. we got to do something with the music, right? Yes, because music's getting retired after this week for a little bit. So we're going to put, we're going to pop it out there. We're going to play a game of predictions. We're going to give you some hot items to talk about for the offseason, and you tell me your answers, predictions, and we'll check back into you later this offseason and see how you did. Let's get started here. Get the music kicked up here. I got a good track record with this game, I think. Yes, you do. You've done, you've done above 500 both times you played the game. Well, now you you just jinxed me, so <laughs> you could gar- I could guarantee you a below 500 performance. All right, question one. Le'Veon Bell signs with? Ah, uh, come on. This is a tough one. I uh, Two teams that come to mind right away, Miami Dolphins, Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, the, both of them linked to Le'Veon Bell. The reports have come out that he wants to play for both those teams. Yeah, um... Who wouldn't want to go to Indianapolis and play with Andrew Luck as your quarterback? That big offensive line. I think he does. I think he does wonders in uh, in Indy. I think in Miami, uh, not so much. Okay, we'll stay with the Steelers for a second. Are they trading Antonio Brown, and if so, where? Yes, to the New York Jets. Ooh, I like that one. Stick with New York here. The Giants' starting quarterback in opening day of 2019 is Eli Manning. I don't think. 
they're going to be foolish enough to draft a quarterback in the upcoming draft. Um, I think they bite the bullet and they go one more year. I wouldn't be surprised if they added some quarterback, though, um, a veteran quarterback via free agency. Like a Teddy Bridgewater type kind of? No problem with that yeah. whatsoever. Okay. Speaking of quarterbacks that might be on the move, Nick Foles is playing for which team next season? The Eagles. I think that, you know, it's a lot of money there to invest in a backup, but he needs to be on that roster, um, especially if Carson Wentz goes down once again and misses time. You want a guy that's going to be able to get in there and the team's not going to miss a step. Nick Foles is that guy. I disagree with that. I think he ends, I think he's going to end up in Jacksonville. I feel like Coughlin with the NFC's familiarity is going to want him down there. I think the asking price is going to be way too high. You know, for whatever team yeah. wants him, that asking price is going to be really high. A team's going to be, have to be really desperate. All right. Which team will improve the most on paper entering the season? I think it's the New York Jets. Again, a lot of money here. They spend wisely. They draft well. This is a nine-win team right off the bat. I hope so. I'm sick of seeing these seasons being over in November. No, this is, again, the offseason is key here. You spend wisely. You draft well. I could guarantee you nine wins right off the bat. I will sign up for that immediately because that means Darnold's taking a big leap forward and might be in the playoff hunt next year. Without a doubt. All right. Let's go the other direction. Which team's taking the biggest step back? from year to year call me crazy i think it's the la rams um i think this super bowl i don't think this super bowl is going to haunt them but they have a lot of of things that are going on this offseason um there's a lot of money allocated to guys like sue darnold i mean what do you do with jared goff are you going to pay him they could have a completely new sec secondary. What do you do with Peters? What do you do with Tlaib? Um, Win Whitworth on the offensive line. There could be a lot of new people in L.A. with the Rams, which could cause a real big setback. Yeah, I like that one. That's what I was thinking about. Mine is the Minnesota Vikings, just because we talked about before, that they are really capped out because it's Kirk Cousins' contract. They're going to lose guys like Anthony Barr. Couple, they got to cut people and make adjustments around the edge. I feel like they're going to take a big step backwards. Yeah, I think they took a step backwards already this season. It could, they could continue to fall back for sure. That's a good one. Okay, next question. The top pick in the NFL draft will be? Will be Nick Bosa from the Ohio State University. I'm not going to count this as a question. you think the Cardinals will stay there or will somebody else take him? No, I think the Cardinals take him. I think they need... I think they need the best player available. They got to hit this. All right. Next question. Who takes the first quarterback in the draft for a bonus point? Who is it? Wow. So you're, you're giving me a double whammy here. Yeah. Um, I think it's either going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars or it's going to be the Denver Broncos. Then the first quarterback will be Dwayne Haskins, which I don't agree with at all. But I think it's going to be Haskins. And especially, I mean, we're far out. We have pro days, combines. We have a lot that could happen in between. But at this moment right now, there's no bigger polarizing, you know, most talked about guy than Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, I think those two are there. Also, I think watch the Raiders because the Raiders, John Gruden does is doing weird things down there. They already said that they may take a quarterback and keep Derek Carr, which makes no sense. Yeah, that makes zero sense. I mean, that would be a bonehead move. Um, it could happen. I just don't see it. Now... The one team that may sneak and get a quarterback before those two, the New York Giants. I really don't think they will. Yeah. I really don't think they will, but they're probably the first team that may do it. 
Yeah, I, this, I agree with that just because remember what Dave Gellman said last year. He said, the guy I draft with that high pick has to have a gold jacket. I don't think anybody in this class is a gold jacket quarterback. No, I agree with that. But again, who knows? It could be somebody in the second round or late first round or maybe in the fourth round that ends up surprising us. Yeah, and the last question. This is one that I decided on today. You know, the NFL schedule comes out. They always start with a Thursday night game where the defending champ raises the banner at home. Who is the, the opponent for the Patriots in that game? I'll give you the teams they are, have on their home schedule next year. This is the three AC East teams, the Giants, Cowboys, Steelers, Browns, or Chiefs. Who is who is going to Foxborough on opening night? Oh, I think it's the Chiefs. You think they're going to do that right away, get the AC Championship game rematch? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you have young, the young gun in Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. You saw what that first matchup was. You saw them play against each other in the playoffs. Why not have it again? It actually would be interesting if they had the Giants play them. Um, I don't think the Giants have enough behind them. Uh, depending on what they do with the draft. I mean, who knows? If if the Giants decide to draft Dwayne Haskins at six and he's a starting guy, now you have an interesting storyline, you know? A team that beat Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl, a brand new quarterback, a new era for the New York Giants up against Brady and the established Patriots. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to go a different direction here. I feel like that they're going to save that chief game for November sweeps. They, want to have, they usually put all their big games in November on Sunday Night Football. I think they're winning doubt. Dallas Cowboys, America's team. I feel like they're going to want to combat patient fatigue. They see this low number in the Super Bowl. They want to put the Dallas there and draw the eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, that'll draw definitely. I think there's just so much. There's Everyone's going to remember this season for Patrick Mahomes, right? No one's really talking about Patrick Mahomes in that AFC Championship game um, and how he played. Everyone remembers how electric he was. The NFL loves electric. They love showcasing their superstars. If they have that opportunity on week one, I think they do it. Yeah, that's also, that's also a spot I can see him saying, okay, you're the first Sunday night game of the year. You're at Arrowhead. You're hosting somebody on Sunday Night Football. I can Let, see him spreading the wealth a little bit. Without a doubt. Without right. a doubt. All right, and those are our predictions for the offseason. Joe, thank you for the time. Hopefully your track record is as strong because you will have several good Jet picks in there. Well, I, I, listen, I'm really confident in this Jets team. Yeah. Um, and, again, the way Sam Darnold finished off the regular season convinced me that, hey, they, they got their guy. They just need to surround them with better talent. All right, before you go, you want to let me know how, how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to? Sure. So, again, for those of you who know me, who have heard me on the podcast before, my, my social media, my Twitter name is obnoxious. It's my name, and it's, it's difficult, so just bear with me. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Joe, double underscore. Do not forget the double. Do not forget the double. Um, D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O, my last name. So Joe, double underscore, D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. Um, and I'm in full force now with the offseason with Fansided. Um, actually coming out on Wednesday. When When's this dropping? I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop it on Tuesday. This is dropping on Tuesday. Perfect. So on Wednesday morning, I am dropping my top five running back free agent options. Um, for this NFL, uh, this upcoming NFL season, free agency now is, you know, here we are. Super Bowl's over. Next thing, free agency. So I have that coming out on uh, Wednesday the 6th. And then I believe a week or two after, I have uh, five targets for the Green Bay Packers. That'll be released as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a lot of fun. Jeff fans, you might want to check out that running back article, especially if they don't end up Le'Veon Bell. Absolutely. Um, again, I mentioned the, the Jets when talking about Le'Veon Bell, because spoiler alert, he is included in that piece. <laughs> but there are some interesting options that, you know, as Jet fans, uh, you may want to look at and start thinking about. All right, Joe, thanks for the time.
Mike, anytime. I love coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me as always. Not a problem. Before we go, real quick, what's your thoughts on the halftime in the commercial of the Super Bowl? It sucked. All right. Stay- <laughs> <laughs> was that quick enough for you? It was terrible. It was just like it's just as bad as the game. Yeah. Maroon was- five sounded horrible. <laughs> Yes, it did sound pretty horrible. Up next, I will talk about that with Sam DeRosa. We're going to go deeper into detail on the halftime show, on the commercials, all that good stuff coming up right after this. When we asked Reebok to send us Terry Tate, some people thought we were crazy. But I'm a firm believer in paradigm breaking, outside the box thinking. Hey, buddy. Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch! And since Terry's been with us, our productivity has gone up 46%. We're getting more from our employees than ever before. You know you need a cover sheet on your TPS reports, Richard! That ain't new, baby! Hey, Terry. Hey, Janice. But what's really impressed me is how Terry's become part of the Felcher family. He fits right in here. To be honest, I wish Reebok sent us 10 Terry Tates. You want to play games, Gene? Well, when it's game time, it's pain time, baby. Woo! All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. You guys heard one of my all-time favorite commercials, Terry Tate, office linebacker from Reebok back in the day. That was a lot of fun. Joining me right now to break down this year's halftime commercial festivities in the Super Bowl, which, to be honest, a lot more fun than the actual game, is somebody who's been out here twice before, most recently talking about holiday gifts back on our holiday special. Sam DeRose is back with us. Sam, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing very good. Before we begin, I want to thank you for pointing me towards Etsy. It actually helped me get a couple of holiday gifts this year. See, it's a good place. Yeah. Very underestimated. Yes, it was very underestimated. I found a friend of mine like who's a big uh, Space Jam guy. I found him a Jordan Toon Squad jersey and I bought like 20 bucks. I was like, wow, this is steel. That's awesome. I actually got my Bill Murray jersey from there too because I love Bill Murray and I love Space Jam as well. So that's too funny. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they do. Apparently LeBron's doing a Space Jam soon. I can't wait to see what that's like. Yeah, my fingers are crossed that Bill Murray makes an appearance in there too. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's not anti-Space Jam. He seems like anti-Ghostbusters, but like, I feel like he's open to doing another Space Jam. Oh yeah, I'm hoping. All right, so before we get into the game, before we get into the what we're here, which is the halftime and the commercials, like, what was your big experience? Like, what you, was your thoughts on the game overall in terms of, like, just the football? I mean, um, I don't know. It was good defense for both teams. I mean, I'll give them that. Uh, but other than that, like, people want to see, like, an exciting, like, high-scoring game, like, between both the teams. And it was kind of a letdown just football-wise. I mean, you know, and then looking at it playing, they did well, but it's just hard to, like, I'm torn. It's just like it was good, but it was also not good at all. <laughs> yeah, it was like such a letdown because like I was talking to like people at this party I was at and at the Super Bowl party, I go there every year. I talk about this podcast a couple of times and like we're sitting there in this living room like with about like 30, 40 people like I have a show, I'll show you. And basically it's like as my friend Kevin described it, who's at this party. He's like my friend Anthony gets about 50 people go, go to his house has a bunch of food, sit in the living room, like Indian style, like on the floor of a <laughs> room, sit about like six, it sits about like 50 in this. So we do this, we're watching the game, we're watching the game and like, I was telling people there, I'm like, this is like- That's so many people. It's oh a lot, goodness. yeah, it's a lot of people. And like, it's like the darkest timeline we stumble into once the rest missed the call, we got the worst game possible out of this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and it's so bad and I feel like it ruined the rest of this stuff, but like, 
before we get into the what we're killing the halftime show and spoiler alert in case you didn't see the halftime show <laughs> what was your viewing experience like with the Super Bowl um you know I was actually standing watching it at work because uh, I was like I have to see this I have to watch it just because I knew I was gonna be on the podcast today um, I appreciate was, the dedica- I appreciate dedication. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I much appreciated. Um, no, but I, the halftime show was so like blah. Like I feel like I don't know if we can't like recreate the halftime shows, the football games, like back even like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, it's gotten way worse since then. But like on a gr- on a grading scale of A to F, where's Maroon Five fall for you? I don't know, like a C minus D plus. I yeah. mean, you know, it's like entertaining because like, oh, cool, like Maroon Five. I guess I'm not a huge fan of Maroon Five. I'm giving them like a easy grade there. Yeah, yeah I feel like you're being very generous. I feel like I've very. seen a lot of negative feedback on the internet about Maroon Five. <laughs> Because, I mean, let me give you an example here. I have a friend of mine named Andrew Sacker. He writes for the Brooklyn Vegan, the uh, music ma- big music website. Mm-hmm. He wrote a review of the halftime show and basically described it as the worst halftime show like words he's ever seen. This is what he said. I want to know what you think about this. He says here, whether or not you like their music, it's objectively true that recent Super Bowl halftime show performers, like Lady Gaga, who I think is very did very well, Justin Timberlake, eh, aimed to put on one of the most spectacular performances of their career, but Maroon 5 seemed like they didn't even try. Save for a minor tease of Squidward's Sweet Victory song, <laughs> which wasn't even performed, some fireworks at the end, and Adam Levine awkwardly, awkwardly ripping his shirt off, hubba hubba, nothing about the performance was out of the ordinary at all. They were just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, that's actually perfectly sums up yeah. how that Super Bowl performance went. I mean, like, they could have just totally messed up, and I feel like that's why I gave them the generous grade. But, yeah. um, like, Lady Gaga, I really didn't think she did such a bad uh, job either. So, like, you know, just it just has gotten, like, a downhill, like, flop, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, for a while, I thought that Coldplay was the worst that had come along in a while, but Chris Martin. <laughs> I forgot uh, about yeah, that. Yeah. That was so bad, too. Yeah. Chris Martin, uh, Coldplay, I know you guys are never going to listen to this, but oh, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I will take you guys 50 times or 50 if we're watching that again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about what we had the last five years. Katy Perry, 49, I think, was great. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, I thought it wasn't too bad. I think the special effects made Katy Perry I show amazing. I think so, like that giant like tiger. Or yeah, yeah, like lion. Like the kid, like the guy Anthony I was hosting the party with. When Katy Perry came out on the on the lion, whatever it was, like or tiger or whatever it was, like oh my gosh, he came out on the white tigers. I'm like, Callie, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we had him. Coldplay. I mean, I give him credit for bringing in Bruno Mars and Beyonce, but I don't think they were necessary. I think like Beyonce was the best part of that Coldplay experience. <laughs> yeah, and Bruno, I don't know why Bruno was there either. Yeah. But, I mean, he killed 48. That's all. That's a little bit before we're talking about. Yeah. And then we had Lady Gaga, who you brought up. Like, I think she was okay. Yeah, no, I didn't think she did too bad. And uh, if you watch the documentary, I think it's still on Netflix. Like, It makes you feel a little bit like, wow, she did do a good job. So, I mean, that's a little like preference. <laughs> yes, got her we had timberlake last year i feel like he was disappointing i was so disappointed i don't even want to get started on that (laughs) i don't know how you have i don't know how he's there he doesn't have like an nsync reunion that or like he didn't even play like even some of his like older stuff too and i was very upset by it plus the whole thing with the prince hologram was really weird i get they were missing off by tree but that was like a weird way to do it yeah yeah speaking of paying tribute we got to talk about the moment of this halftime show the complete tease of the spongebob thing these people are not aware back in november the creator of spongebob i think his name is stephen hillenberg right yes. 
he died and there was a big viral like thing went on like a uh, thing on protest.org or change.com whatever yeah, it was like that a is. petition to they had over a million signatures yeah, to play the spongebob song a sweet victory at the super bowl because i'm sure you've seen it you're a big spongebob fan you yes. love that episode band geeks <laughs> yeah band geeks the classic episode where squidward puts together a band to play the bubble bowl and all the characters are awful and then they get there and they're like <laughs> amazing and they play the best song ever and what is it they i mean at, at this party we're watching the game we see it come on the computer like oh <gasps> Like, it's happening. And then all of a sudden, pfft, <laughs> like, he's gone. Travis Scott comes in on that night, that stupid comic sound effect, and then he's bleak for the first five seconds he's on the air. I'm like, what a waste. Yeah, I mean, they even paid, I think, money. They did, well, not think, but they did pay money for the rights for the SpongeBob for, you know, using Squidward, and they did nothing. I mean, the only good thing... Like I was talking to you earlier before yeah. the podcast was the memes. The yeah. SpongeBob memes were the best thing to come out of that Super Bowl this year. Yeah, there were a lot of angry SpongeBob fans after the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like you know, you tease it and then you completely like dump on it, and yeah. it's just like, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either you don't do it or you do it all the way. You don't do what you did, where you put it on for like three seconds and then use it to intro one of your other people who didn't really fit in the show. Yeah, because, I mean, you're going to have way more, ha- like, happy fans, you know, if you're doing demographic-wise. Yeah. All, like, we watch the Super Bowl. Like, we outweigh the older demographics and everything, too. So I feel like that was a good opportunity for them to, like, yeah. really, like, boost it, and they kind of just, like, miss their target. Yeah, so I know you're, you're a big SpongeBob fan. You love the SpongeBob memes. What's your favorite SpongeBob memes coming out of the Super Bowl so far? Um, I mean, I think the one with uh, the I don't know if anyone's seen it, but I th- it's the one with the SpongeBob hand, like yeah. when Squidward and SpongeBob are like performing in one of the episodes. So he sticks SpongeBob's hand out, and everyone cheers, and then they stick uh, Squidward's arm out, and everyone boos and hisses, and it's just like I'll like have to send it to you so you could post it. Yeah, I'll put it in. The sh- <laughs> yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes. I'll link Sacker's article in the po- sh- in the show notes in case anybody wants a full description of that. But like that one, I remember that episode where they're doing the talent show and SpongeBob because I'm bop up and everybody loves yeah. it. And that was fantastic. That one or like you use me for sicko mode yeah. is like the that's like one of my favorite yeah. ones as well. Yeah. Sicko mode. That's the song I'll never forget now <laughs> after that because that was such a disappointment because everyone was like, I probably was enraged. I'm like, what? Like that's it? Like we're just waiting for them to do it and they just didn't do it. Yeah, actually, I saw online. Um, I'll have to send that to you as well so you could post it for people who are disappointed like me. So a fan recreated using clips of the Super Bowl for the halftime show. Uh, they used it to do Sweet Victory as well. So I thought that was like, oh look, there's some justification. And it says like, you know, this is you could pretend that the Super Bowl halftime show didn't happen. So here's this kind of deal. So yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll have to find that for you. Yeah, definitely find that for you. I mean, even the even if. With all the terrible stuff that went on there, with with uh, Travis Scott really fitting in, Big Boy showing up for who knows what reason, and Maroon Five being Maroon Five not being spectacular. If they did that, they would easily be ahead of Coldplay on the list of like most of good Super Bowl performance reasons. They might even pass Timberlake. Yeah, definitely. Because Timberlake was not great, as we discussed before. Ugh, no. So uh, like I said, don't get me started on that one. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm glad you're here because you are more pop culture savvy than I am. So like I'm not very much into the music scene. So. Do you have a prediction for who the next year's Super Bowl halftime will be? Honest to God, like, after everything political-wise is going <laughs> on, I really think, uh, you know, the pool for Super Bowl performers are going to go down. Um, I'm sure they're probably going to have somebody throw back or something. I wouldn't be surprised to have, like, a group that performed one time or another come back. But I know the Foo Fighters did mm-hmm. a uh, day before, like, the halftime, like, pumping up show. Uh, I think that they're going to do it uh, next. I'm hoping they do it next year. I love the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters will be fun. Chili, Chili Peppers, I could see doing a full show after they did the cameo at Bruno that one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
definitely. I forgot about that. Yeah, because that was that was one I remember that halftime show. I was so upset because it was in New Jersey. I was I'm a big Bon Jovi guy. I wanted oh, Bon. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted Bon Jovi to do it. They did not do it. I was so mad because I was like. I didn't realize at the time it's probably because of the whole thing where Richie Sambora left Bon Jovi and that was probably why yes, they yes. didn't didn't do it. I was so mad. I'm like, okay, how can you have Bruno Mars here? Then Bruno Mars came out and put on a great show. I'm like, okay, I, I'm forgetting. I can't Bruno. <laughs> yeah. That made me a Bruno Mars fan. That yeah. halftime show. <laughs> He's pretty good. He's yeah. been behind a lot of music. I'm sure you don't know about. Yeah, I know. I'm can't, I'm very excited about him. And I'm a dark horse to throw out for you. I think she was offered it before. I don't know if she said no or not. What do you think about Taylor Swift for halftime? Um, personally, I, like I, like you said earlier, I don't think she'll be listening to your podcast. So. No, she's, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, not a big Taylor Swift fan. Um, I don't know. I don't think she's the demographic demographic for football with that one. You know, I just, I don't know. I just can't see her music being played. I mean, I guess more Taylor Swift now than a couple years ago, but who knows? I don't know. I wouldn't be too excited if that was the member for next year. All right, let's move on from the halftime show. We got enough bashing Maroon Five for today. <laughs> Let's go to the commercials. So I mentioned at the top, one of my all-time favorite Super Bowl commercials was the uh, t- uh, Terry Tate Reebok linebacker commercial. What is one of your all-time favorite Super Bowl commercials? Um, of all time? Or yeah, of all year? time. I don't know. That's like so hard to pick, especially because they were like they were so good. Um, I want to focus more on this year because like it's so fresh. But um, I just really liked that NFL 100 commercial. Like I watched it like 14 times. Like I just thought it was so good. Yeah. And I feel like it's bumped up, like bumped mm-hmm. down a bunch of my like favorite ones from like the past. Yeah, it's it really good. I mean, like I've had great ones from the past. I mean, like I like the Budweiser Clydesdale commercial where the dog gets lost and comes back home. Like that's that's an all time that favorite. That was a very emotional one. Yeah. <laughs> And like this one, it's like in terms of just pure funny, like it's two minutes long and you just can go back and watch it because there's stuff you miss every time. It's like great. Like, it's, yeah, I couldn't believe they had that many football legends in one room and like they were all making in jokes at each other's expense. And I really like thought that was really mm-hmm. nice of Tom Brady to yeah. even show up too, because yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. feel like he'd be like with everything going on with him. He'd be like, no, thank you. Yeah. That scene where it has Baker Mayfield's like, here, hold my rings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that was hilarious. <laughs> That was really funny. I like that. I like the Peyton Manning throwing the football in there. Like, does it look just like old times? Like, uh, actually, that kind of hurt a yeah, little yeah. bit. <laughs> that one and, like, the and when Barry Sanders is juking people, Emmitt Smith's saying his tail is like, you know, I have more rushing yards than that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That was so good. And I like how they had multi-generational football yeah. uh, stars come in. I thought that was really yeah. great. Yeah, that one, I think, was one of the most popular ones. One of the most polarized ones, I think, was that. Bud Light commercial turned into a Rick Roll for Game of Thrones fans. So oh my goodness! I know you're a Throner, so like I what, am. <laughs> what were your thoughts on that commercial? I mean, like I don't, I don't like fully understand the, uh, you know, dilly dilly. Yeah. Like I'm just like okay, you know, like I guess that's their advertising advert, you know, everything. Yeah. But um, I was just like okay, and then they had like the mountain. Which or like he's literally such an evil guy and for the people who watch the show and they like killed the dude. I was like, what the heck? Like, I mean, and then it was just like Game of Thrones. I'm like, all right. I didn't. Since when does HBO partner with a like beer distributor? Yeah, it's like unlike Maroon Five trolling everybody with the SpongeBob thing. I think this is actually more of a clever troll because they they had teased forever. Like, yeah, we're gonna put out something with the Super Bowl and then. They did put something out. It's just not what you expect it to be. Yeah, especially because like you know it's just bud like Bud Light and everything so I thought that was insane yeah plus they got away with hyping the season without giving away footage which I mean like I have not watched yet I'm I'm planning on it so like I know I don't have a lot of time to catch up so I'm glad they didn't spoil too much for me oh yeah trust me and they did that with the Avengers commercial too they only I think took it from the first I think 45 minutes yeah. I think I read an art I read an article on that saying it and I thought that was really smart of them so it doesn't give anything away yeah we'll, we'll get to we'll get to Avengers in a minute I have a section on movie trailers we're gonna talk about but like 
Well, my, some of the other favorite commercials there. I like the Anthony Lynn commercial. Like, did you see this one? I don't. I feel like you have to remind me. Yeah. I feel like I've just seen yeah. so many. Yeah. It's just my yeah. brain's overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. So Anthony Lynn, the Charger head coach, Verizon had him go meet with first responders. I don't know if you know. It's back in 2005. He was actually in an, in a accident, like a hit and run. Like somebody hit him and took off. And oh wow. Par- and like paramedics saved his life. So like they had him seek a first response by experience. Verizon brought in the paramedic, the firefighters who actually saved his life that day. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and it was like really, really like on that on the fields of like the dog commercial. It was like right there. Oh wow, that's really great. Yeah, that's was, like that's good advertising right there. Yeah, that was fantastic. And the other one I liked, the Stella Artois commercial. You see that? Oh yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> People didn't didn't see that one. Great moment. They have Sarah Jessica Parker playing Carrie Bradshaw, Jeff Briggs playing Big Lebowski, going to a bar. And instead of their usuals, they get Stella. They get Stellas, and the whole place just go falls apart. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh man, I love the dude. I thought that was. Uh, it was interesting. I wouldn't. I don't know about pairing the two together. Like I yeah. get it, but yeah. I'm just like interesting. You know. Yeah, and I don't know if you. I don't know if it does justice on the YouTube version of this, but like watching it live. They had the Dos Equis guy in the commercial, too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he was drinking a Stella. I don't know. <laughs> I actually didn't see him in there. I was just, yeah. you know, it's just like all the commercials, like it's hard to process, yeah. you know? It's, yeah, because I checked. I went back. I'm like, I saw this on live TV, but on the YouTube version, it's not there. It's only, only did it on the actual game. See, because I missed that live. Yeah. I went back to watch it on yeah. YouTube yeah. earlier this morning. Yeah, that was a fun commercial. But like, do you have a pick for what the worst commercial of the year was? Ugh, no, there was like too many weird ones. I feel like it's just not quality commercial. All right, I have the worst one. I'm going to play it for you on the air. This is for the cell phone service I've never heard before called Mint Mobile. I'm going to play this for you. Let you let, and afterwards, I'll want your reaction. Wireless for 20 bucks a month. <laughs> that's not right. It's right, all right. Not chunky style milk. That's not right. I choose chunky style milk because it has the wholesome chunks brewing kids need, unlike smooth style milk. Hey guys, save some chunks for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not right. That just sounds up. That's just not right. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Like I like just hearing it. It's probably more okay than watching it. But like that was that was gross. <laughs> yeah, I mean like it's so bad because I mean you're at a school party or like you're like you are you're at work and like everybody's eating food and you see somebody yeah. just drinking curdled <laughs> milk. I'm like yeah. ugh. And but see, you remembered it, yeah. and that's what they did their job, I guess. Yeah, but like the only remembers what it's for. Everybody remembers the commercial where they just drank curdled milk. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I cut the end of, the, of that commercial. I didn't get I give them the credit for having such a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think that was definitely the worst of the year, though, by far. And the last category I want to hit with you is the movie trailers that you brought up before. We saw a bunch. We saw, I think, the scary movie, scary movies you tell, scary stories you tell, like whatever. That yeah, like, like from the book when we were younger and yeah, everything. They had like four spots on the Super Bowl. Yeah, they were like ten second like hits. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that one was fun. Like of the of those movies, that one, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Toy Story Four, which people I don't know if you were ran out of the room as soon as the Patriots won the game, but they were on right afterwards. Oh yeah, no, I <laughs> <laughs> I stopped. I turned off the TV to yeah. be completely honest yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, I was walking out of the room. I wasn't happy to catch it. I was like I want to stop and watch it again. So like, yeah. which of those caught your eye the most? Um, I'm very excited for Captain Marvel. Um, I'm a very big uh, comic fan and. Marvel Universe fan as well uh, so I'm just excited that it's gonna be March 8th and like in April I believe towards the end of the month is Avengers so it's just like it's gonna be a good two months for me to like go out and go to the movies so I'm very excited for both of those yeah I'm a big Marvel fan as well Captain Marvel trailer was great I mean it was so much action and like they yeah. had a nice simple tagline like 
higher, faster, stronger, whatever it was. Yeah, it's going to be a great movie. I (laughs) feel like... um, it's gonna be great just for people to go see it because she's a she's an awesome superhero. Yeah, I'm excited to see that one. Avengers, I was a little mixed on that one because again, like the first trailer, didn't really give you much. Oh yeah, I think they they. I honestly, I remember reading that it says they from the first 30 or 45 minutes they didn't want to spoil anything. Yeah. And plus, I'm 90 percent sure that Captain Marvel is gonna show up in uh, the Avengers movie anyway because if you saw. This is not a spoiler. The movie's been out for almost a year now. But yeah. at the very end of the credits for Avengers Infinity War Part 1, he goes to call, um, like, Captain Marvel, basically. Yeah, I saw I saw that. And then, of course, like, all the jokes for the Met fans that City Field was in the trailer was empty. <laughs> I, I I saw that. I thought of you. <laughs> yeah. I, I went on Twitter as soon as that trailer came out. And then someone said, guys, the movie's in October. City Field is empty. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, blow, guys. Whoa, yeah. blow. <laughs> Sam, thank you for all the time. I know it's your third appearance on the podcast. I'm very happy you keep coming back on. And feel I'm like, having a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I found your niche. You're more the pop culture vein. I feel like you're more f- a better fit for you in this in this sort of spot. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Before you go, though, I know you are a big fan of the Yankees. As of this recording, they are still working on building their team together. They have not signed either of the big free agents on the market, Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. Does this bother you? No, I am so happy they did not do that. I mean, I, I, the Yankees need to focus on what they have right now than spending more money than they need to. They are a big. They spend too much money on certain people that don't deserve it. Yeah, plus the fit is weird. I think for that team, because, yeah, because like Machado. Now they signed the guy from Colorado. They don't really need Manny Machado anymore, and yeah. Bryce Harper fits better. But again, I I think like you have John Carlos Stanton. They don't really need another big power hitter. Yeah. That's true, and they have a million outfielders, so. Plus, I think if he comes there, he would displace Brett Gardner. I know you're not happy yep, about Yep, yep, exactly. That's <laughs> why I do not like Machado. <laughs> I mean, I do like Bryce Harper more, though. I yeah. wouldn't mind him. Yeah, but, but I still don't want either of them, because that means big contracts and big money, and I feel like we need to focus, well, not we, but the Yankees need to focus more on the pitching aspect, which they have been signing a bunch of pitchers, but it's really important for them to focus more on their farm system and everything with that thanks for that baseball tease we're doing baseball on the podcast next week so i wanted to throw something out there with the listeners appetite sam will not be here but i will have two great guests with me for that sam thank you for the time no problem thanks for having me no problem before you go you want everybody to know how to follow you on social media some of the stuff you're up to oh uh, yeah you can find me at s uh derose d-e-r-o-s-a five at on twitter and uh yeah come follow me i post a lot of yankee stuff <laughs> and spongebob memes yeah oh yeah that's you <laughs> All right, Sam. That was Sam DeRosa with the halftime commercial breakdown. Sam, I know you mentioned that you last time, one of the times you on the podcast, you've watched 30 for 30s. Have you watched the new one on Deion Sanders? No, but I haven't. I'm like waiting for like a good night to sit down and watch it. I'm very excited for it. Stay tuned. I'm going to be talking about the Deion Sanders 30 for 30 in the two minute drill right after this. They're blitzing everybody, coming after him. And Deion Sanders leaped and intercepted on a 39-yard line to the 40, to the 45, to the 50, to the 45, to 40. He got a block to the 30, the 25, the 20. Deion Sanders, touchdown! Welcome back to this week's two-minute drill. As you just heard, that highlight from the NFL's YouTube channel of one of the many pick sixes from Deion Sanders' career. Deion Sanders was the spotlight of ESPN's latest 30 for 30 film. Dion's double play, specifically addressing Dion's football and baseball double play back in 1992. To give a little backdrop to the situation, everybody knows that Dion Sanders was a two-sport athlete in the early 90s. He played baseball through July, 
Then he switched to football mode, went to training camp, played for the NFL after that. In the early 90s, he was doing it in both sports in Atlanta, playing for the Braves and the Falcons. In 1991, he actually, after his contract, which was set out specifically that he was done playing baseball after July 31st, he decided to come back late in the year, help the Braves in the playoffs that year. That was great. They made the World Series, lost to the Twins. In 1992, same situation arises. Dion starts the football season, comes back to the Braves for the playoffs, but makes a controversial decision. On October 10th, 1992, on Saturday, the Braves played the Pittsburgh Pirates in Pittsburgh, Game 4 of the National League Championship Series. The next day, the Falcons were scheduled to play a regular season game, 1 o'clock in Miami against the Dolphins. Dion chose to go take a private jet after the game, fly down to Miami, gets to Miami at about 4 in the morning, goes out, plays for the Dolph- plays the game for the Dolphin, against the Dolphins, goes out, plays the game against the Dolphins, doesn't have much of an impact in it, flies back to Pittsburgh, gets to Pittsburgh right around game time, suits up, but does not play in the contest. So this situation was highly controversial at the time, mostly due to the Braves feeling like they were slighted by Deion Sanders. The Braves felt like that they had a, a verbal agreement with Dion that w- when he committed to be with the baseball team full-time, he would be there 24-7 during the playoff run. Dion, on the other hand, felt like as long as he was there for the games, he was good. And that was what he, his goal was here. And this film makes a huge deal of the incident with Tim McCarver, the broadcaster who criticized Dion on national television for his decision to bail out early, go to the football game, and then come back made a whole deal about that. McCarver, along with several of the key braids, including GM John Shearholtz and manager Bobby Cox, declined to be interviewed for this film. This was interesting. I liked watching how this situation played out. I liked hearing Dion's perspective on this. The other thing that's underrated in this film, besides breaking down the whole uh, dichotomy of how he put the plan together, how he went from Pittsburgh to Miami, back to Pittsburgh, all that good stuff and all the inside scoop on that, the other thing that was interesting I took out of this piece was the whole explanation of the prime time persona. And Deion Sanders had a very interesting take on this. Deion basically broke down the fact that prime time was a creation for football so that he could increase his value monetarily on the field. Deion says at the beginning of the film that he realized that corners, his position at the time, not getting paid very well. So he creates this persona of prime time. Prime time goes on to make big plays in big games, revolutionizes the position, becomes a Hall of Famer in the NFL. But prime time did not extend over to baseball. In baseball, Dion was his typical normal Dion self. He even says in the film that he will not sign a baseball prime time. He will just sign his name, Dion Sanders. That dichotomy was fascinating to watch, and Dion always lights up a room. The whole setup was fun. It was not. I think a top-level ESPN 30 for 30 film. There have been plenty of great ones. I think the tie with NFL films hurt that a little bit because like, you don't have as much creative freedom as you do if you're some of these more independent directors, but I still highly recommend check out 30 for 30's Dion's Double Play. It'll probably be back on ESPN soon. It aired originally on January 31st, but if you have the ESPN Plus app like service, you can get right now on streaming, 
Go do that. Check it out. You will not regret it. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Joe Dalizio, for stopping by to break down the Super Bowl and the NFL offseason preview. I also want to thank Sandra Rose for coming on again to talk about the halftime show and the commercials, all that good stuff. thought that was a lot of fun. If you want more good stuff at this podcast, including my instant reaction to the Chris Dosporzingis trade, be sure to check out our blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play by searching for Just and the Suffering in the podcast store or the Google Play Music section. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the, hash, with the hashtag SweetVictory. We're going to make it right, America. Room 5 messed us up. Hashtag SweetVictory means the end of this week's show. Next week, we've been on a football run here. We have done about seven football-heavy shows in a row. There's other sports going on. We're going to start catching up with the other ones. We have a baseball podcast next week, as I hinted about at the end of the segment with Sam. She's not here next week to talk baseball, but I will be joined by Will Schneiderhan, who is starting covering baseball for Fansided. Also joined by Anthony Sorbellini, who made NFL picks back in week number nine. We're going to have a little roundtable, talk about the offseason, catch up with the Yankees, catch up with the Mets, see if Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are any closer to new homes. They still have not signed as of this podcast when I'm being recorded, but eventually... They're going to have to play somewhere. We'll find out. We'll talk about where they are. Until then, I'll be a better week than Rams fans. And play us out. SpongeBob.